morning, everybody. I hope you've had a fantastic week. Mine has been pretty stinking amazing. I have some very close friends in town and have had a great time roaming around with them and uh, looking forward to another day or two of that, but especially looking forward to tonight. So I hope you're planning to come. As I mentioned every week, this is not church. This is me unpacking the text that we are going to center on when we gather as a church tonight. So if you want to come, we'd love for you to. Excuse me. I can tell you how to get here. Uh, You contact us online through social media, through an email, however you want to do it. Our website, in order to reach out to us, we would love to connect with you. Uh, and tell you how to get exactly where we are. We're in Tempe, Arizona, the East Valley of Metro Phoenix, and we would love for you to come, man. We have a great time. We hang out. We get in the Word. We spend time in prayer. Uh, we eat a little bit, it's, but it's real just casual. It's just, it's just working together through what God's Word uh, has to say to us and, and, and then praying together um, very intentionally for things that are going on in, in, in the world that we live in. In a, in a very personal way. So anyway, love for you to come. Uh, the hope is that when you do come, you really feel that unconditional love that that we're trying to show. Um, that's a core value for us as a church. We want you to hear the uncompromised truth of God's word, that we're going to love you unconditionally no matter where you come from, but you're going to hear God's word straight from his word, the truth. And that won't be compromised. And then we hope you recognize a unified mission. And what we mean by that is we are making disciples. It's who we are. It's what we do. Uh, You know, if you're a believer, that is your responsibility together with us as other believers. That's our singular responsibilities to make disciples. And if you're a a believer, I'd ask if you know what that means because it's your charge. You know, it's your responsibility. You know what it means to make disciples. Come hang out with us. We'll we'll show you. So we've been going through this series, Is God Among Us? Not one of us. He's holy. He's separate. He is among us. And that's what we've been wrestling at through his word. Where are the areas where he's among us? Today, we're going to focus on is God among us when uh, following him is a life-altering decision when is God among us when following him is a life-altering decision and 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 here's the thing you know the verse uh you've heard it already revelation 21 verse 3 behold the dwelling place of God is with man he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God So today, though, let's go back to Genesis. That's where we've been. We've been looking at God among his people. So today, again, Genesis chapter 7, or excuse me, chapter 12, verse 7. Let me read it, and then we'll jump in here. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for your word. 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 Lord, it is so awesome. I love that we can know you. I love that you've written down such a large letter of understanding for us to know who you are, what kind of God you are, how you you live among us, 
how you guide us and love us, Lord. And I pray that today as we get into it, that you are glorified in what we see here and not me. It's not my word, Lord. It's your word. We ask these things for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. So, toss my glasses out of the way so I don't fidget with them. This is unedited, ladies and gentlemen. I don't edit, so you get the raw truth. Whatever happens, happens. Um, But one of the things uh, that the North American Mission Board, which is the organization that supports us, uh, well, endorses us and helps us anyway, uh, one of the things they always push is restating your call. And what they mean by that is to replay your call in your head, to recite your call, to remember your call to yourself and to others over and over. Why do they harp on that so much? Well, in all honesty, in the beginning of our journey to Arizona, I was pretty annoyed by it, to tell you the truth. It was starting to get on my nerves. But now, a couple of years into trying to plant this church here and to see this church grow up in Metro Phoenix, like I completely understand. And I'm very thankful, very thankful um, that they push that on us because it's the call that's kept us from giving up. It's that call that's kept, it's that call that reminds us that no matter what happens, all right, no matter how hard it may be, no matter how hopeless it may appear that this thing is going to happen, we can remember that God did tell us, he did tell us to come here. He did. The term calling is super overplayed, all right? It is super overapplied to so many things to the point that believers assume it's only for pastors, It's only for missionaries to the point that they also, uh, you know, wonder, believers typically wonder, well, what am I called to do then? Because I don't feel like I'm supposed to be a pastor or missionary, so am I I, I called? Do I have a calling? Uh, And the irony is Jesus is actually crystal clear in answering that question. Matthew 28, 19, go make disciples of all nations. That's your call. My call as a believer, that's your call. The challenge, though, is when that call gets a little more specific. Which it does sometimes. A more specific role within making disciples. That's what I mean. Um, maybe telling you to actually go somewhere. Uh, you know, to actually move. You know, and, and you may not even know where that is or when that is or how it's going to happen. You may not know all those things, but you begin to sense this call to, to move. Uh, that's exactly what happened to us, Molly and I. And Sarah and Evan, and there's been others since, the Allens now. But uh, I'm going to speak just for us. But that's what happened with us. And it was in stages, and it was for years, for years, as we took steps following him in the direction that got us to where we are now. We knew he was calling us to full-time ministry almost 20 years ago. All right, And we answered that call almost 20 years ago to full-time ministry. Began in music ministry. I'm not going to go into our whole story, but it was music ministry and evangelism. All right. And then we felt like sometime, you know, years after that, that God was calling us to more involvement in the local church specifically. So we plugged more in with uh, leading youth and college ministry. And later we felt a call more specifically towards the communities around us through the local church, through the gangs and working with prisoners and, and drug situations, things like that. That community, through the local church, we were like, man, that's where God's pulling us, so we moved there. Then we realized what we were already really doing here is mission work, and so we continued to focus more on international missions and going overseas. This is across years and years of time, guys, and we took steps to 
to do things more overseas, church planning overseas, in these same kind of difficult circumstances a lot of times, in some very difficult countries where it's, in some cases, not even legal to do it. And then later, though, he moved us here. He moved us here. I would have never thought it. He said, you're going to be, instead of supporting church planning, you are going to be church planning and moved us here. And then came the where, when, and how. Once we realized he wanted to move us, then came the where, when, and how. And I'm not going to take the time to go into that specific call to come to Phoenix. If you want to know, I'll tell you. I'd love to, but I'm not going to do it now. But uh, we knew we were walking somewhere. And so we started letting go and taking steps towards wherever that may be. We didn't know where. We just knew it was somewhere. There were options out there for sure, but we didn't know where. It was as far apart as Ireland, uh, West Africa, and obviously the desert of Phoenix. It's all over the place, the options, okay? We knew we were walking somewhere, so we started walking. We started letting go of things. We started taking steps. And before long, we knew it was Phoenix. We knew it was. But we didn't know where in Phoenix. So we just kept walking this direction towards Phoenix. And God made clear it was the East Valley. It was Tempe. And so we landed here. Again, continuing to walk. So then when do we go to Tempe? I won't go into all that, but God made that clear. Where down to the house in Tempe? God made all of that clear. But we're still walking. So the calling requires faith, no doubt. All right? Faith that is based on knowing, though, that it is God who is calling. Not faith that I'm going to get exactly where I'm supposed to be. That might That's going to happen, but it's faith that God's the one that's calling, and he's calling us specifically for it. And we continue to remind ourselves of that now, Molly and I and, and our whole crew. It's, it's almost like the events and the ways that God spoke to us are, are an altar now, sort of. Where we revisit and we worship him for that. I don't know if that makes any sense. But but to be reminded of his call again and again. It's almost like an altar of worship for us. And I know I'm saying a lot to intro where we're going here. But but, I, but I, I'm just trying to really paint a clear picture of understanding. And today we're going to look at you know what may be the very first missional call. The original mission. The original calling. We're going to ask the question, is God among us when the call is great, when following him is life-altering, okay? God here called Abraham to make a life-changing decision based on faith. And his response became a blessing for all the earth. And it resulted in a personal relationship with God. That's amazing. That's what we're looking at today. And if we're faithful with what God calls us to do, one step at a time, we can be certain that his plan is going to produce eternal results that impact his kingdom, even globally. All right? And it will provide us with a growing personal relationship with him, even if we don't see the results of a global mission. So, is God among us when we follow him, when following him is life-altering? For Abraham, it looked like this. He listened to his word. He Learn to follow his call, and then he looked for his presence. So that's the way we're going to pull it apart. First, he, we're, going to, we're challenged to listen to his word. Look at verse 1, chapter 12. Now, the Lord said to Abram, go from... And if I screw it up, God changes Abram's name to Abraham. So if I slip and say, Abram, Abraham, same guy. 
All right. So now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. That word show means shall appear or become visible. Verse 2, and I'll make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. Now, it goes on, but hold on. Notice God didn't say, come to the land that I will show you. He didn't. That would signal that God was already there, and he was waiting on Abraham to find his way over to where God was. That's not what he said. He said, go, because God was with Abraham. What do I mean? Well, what I mean by that is the word go there is literally the word walk. The idea is the imagery is not come to me. It's come with me. Let's walk to a place I'll show you. God maybe said it like this. Let go. Let go of family. Let go of those things and walk with me. I have a place where I need you. That's all he gave him. That's all he gave him. He didn't say where. He just said let go. Walk with me. I have a place where I need you. All right? Now, that's obviously not me quoting the word, but that's the way to maybe understand it. There was more here than just go and I'll show you too, by the way. There's more here. There's promises. God gave his word that he'll act, that he'll do something. I will show you. I will make. I will bless. There's a plan and God is going to do it right there. You see that? When his word speaks to us, guys, when it speaks to us, there is a plan and we have promises. For instance, I am with you always, Jesus said. I am with you always. I will build my church. Promises. I will build my church. You will be my witnesses. I will never leave you or forsake you. Other promises like the hope that we have a home that we are welcomed to one day. The hope that we have that he might be proud of us. And he might say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Things like that. But again, there's reason for God choosing and using Abram here. It's not just random. He didn't just say, hey, you know, blah, blah, blah. He picked Abram out. There was a reason for Abram doing what he was doing. But it's not about Abram. It's about God's kingdom, God's word, God's global plan. Look at verse 2. This is why he said all of those things, so that you will be a blessing. So that you will be a blessing. How so? Well, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abraham got promised that his name was going to be great. We read that. I'll make you view your name great. But not that it's going to be in lights like Hollywood. Abram, you know, everybody comes to kneel at the foot of Abram. It's not that. He's got all of his fans and the paparazzi. It's not that. In fact, God, as I mentioned, changes his name to Abraham anyway. So God changes that great name. I mean, it's not about that. It's about The text here is explaining what will make it great is that his name will separate people. Abram's name will become great because Abram's name will divide people. You see that, what he says? Those who are blessed by it and those who are cursed by it. And it's not like he's saying you have the power to bless and curse. He's not going after that. He's saying it's a power they have. Those who do this will receive this Those who do this will receive this. It's in how they respond to Abram's name, to Abram's identity as being chosen by God. It's how the peoples of the world 
are going to respond to the fact that Abram's identity is chosen by God. That's a picture of Christ. Huge picture of Christ, right? How we respond to him, to his name, to his identity. Are you the son of God? Did you die on a cross? Are you alive from the dead? How we respond to that separates people. It separates people. Just like Christ, the fact that Abram's name is great doesn't mean he's only ever going to be blessed. In fact, it means that there's a guarantee that there will be those who do curse. Or else God wouldn't say it separates. There will be people that curse him. Uh, Just like with Christ. The mission with Abram is through a family. With Christ is also through a family. He was born into a specific family, to a specific nationality. But at the same time, all the nations, all the tribes of the earth are blessed through that. They're already cursed. You can read John chapter 3. You can read Genesis chapter 3. The, 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 the world's already cursed. All right, So they're already in that state. Abraham being chosen by God based on no merit of his own was already a blessing for the whole world. How so? Because it showed that God was a God of grace. It displayed that God was a God of grace. And if he is, then there's hope for anybody. If God would choose Abraham for no merit of his own to bless the whole world, then it shows he's a God of grace just because he did that much. And that means he he can use you. That means he can and does love you. And there's hope for you, no matter who you are. But it depends on how you respond to that identity, right? So, man, what a responsibility for Abraham. How many times do we look at his word, like really quick, we just read through, we just go, we just glance, and we, you know... We may get to the point when we decide what, you know, well, that's for pastors. That's for, you know, missionaries. That right there, that's for the elite. That's for the called. That's for, you know, the special ones who have this super calling. But what if Jesus meant every believer when he said, as you go, make disciples? Make disciples as you're going. What if he meant that for every believer, meaning that going was part of the plan? What if that was for everybody? What if he meant that? What if sell your house, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then come follow me? What if that was about you? I'm just asking a question here. What if that was about you? What if, like the apostles, you say, Lord, we've given up all to follow you? Apostles all said that. What if that was you? Lord, we've given up all to follow you. Why do we ignore some words in here and then try to alter the meaning of others? Why do we ignore some and then we want to alter the meaning of others? What if we remember the blessings that come with being called by God? What if we remember those? I already said some of them. What if we remember that? What if we accept cursing as Peter did, grateful to share with the sufferings of Christ? What if we did that? What if we remember that the world is already cursed, that People are without hope and they're heading for an eternity already without hope. What if we start remembering that? We listen to his word. Then, like Abram here, we learn to follow his call. So look here in verse uh, 1 again. The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred to your and your father's house. Um, what did the Lord said to Abram? 
What'd that look like? Is it a voice from the heavens? Was it was it a, a ray of light that shone down and he heard a voice? Was it like Paul maybe, where he was blinded? I, you know, what, what did he see? We don't know, but he knew. We don't know, but Abram knew. Abram's family was already moving in that direction. Uh, look in chapter eleven of Genesis in verse thirty-one. Abram's father Terah took Abraham or Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran his grandson and Sarah his daughter-in-law his son's Abram's wife and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan but when they came to Haran they settled there all right so that's telling you and then his dad dies in Haran so that's telling you right there that the family was already moving towards Canaan in a sense but they stopped along the way and they settled how long had that been going on? How long was Abram in Haran? You know, was it just a night or was it for years? We don't know, but we know what happened. God challenged Abram to walk on. He challenged him to walk on. Couldn't Abram have done the ministry right there? I mean, his family's right there. Surely Haran needed the gospel too, right? The whole family's there. Wouldn't that have made it easier? Why not take the gospel and go back to Ur of the Chaldeans? Go back, go back to Ur. Why not do that? Surely back home they need the gospel. Why not do that? Why take it to strangers in an unknown land? Why do that? Because that's where God was walking and God chose Abraham with a privilege to go alongside him. Ultimately, Abraham would see him there. Picture that he would see him one day that he's going to look at him there. And guess what? Ultimately, the world would look at him there when Jesus was born and lived and died. The world would see him on a cross there. The world would see him in resurrected there. The world would see God fulfill the gospel there in that same land. And the same place, that same land is where every eye will see him one day when he returns. One other thing, by the way, God would also send the gospel back to Ur of the Chaldeans. It would be years later, Israel was exiled to Babylon, same place, Chaldea, Babylon. They were exiled there, and because of Daniel and the others, the king of Babylon would confess and become a believer. You can look it up in your own time. It's Daniel 4, uh, verse 34, there to the end of the chapter. So, check it out. The God still sent the gospel back. Verse 4, chapter 12. So, Abraham went. So he went. As the Lord had told him. Exactly as God told him to do. Lot with him. Abraham was 75 years old. Man, circle that if you feel like you're missing out on a call. That's real time 75 years old. Now, Abraham lived well over 100, but, but he didn't live to be five or 600 like these older patriarchs. He, I mean, 75 was 75, all right? 75 years old. You feel like you're already past it? He didn't even start it until 75, all right? That's when he departed from Haran, all right? And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they gathered, and the people, or the souls, is literally the word, the souls that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abraham passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. 
So the challenge to faith here, one of them, one of the big challenges that almost gets missed, if you read it quickly, is that the Canaanites were there. Did you see he mentioned it a couple times? Canaan, Canaan, Canaanites. They were pagans. They were giants. Uh, we don't have time to go into all this, but you can look in the text of the Bible and see this. Pagans, giants, they were the sons of Cain who killed Abel. That's the idea of Canaanites, the sons of Cain. If God said he was to go to a place that he would show them, is there any chance that Abram went the wrong way? Is there any chance? Oh, well, we were going to Canaan anyway as a family. Surely he don't want me to go into Canaan. I mean, he must have meant, oh, God, you mean over here. Like, is there any chance that that God said, hey, go to the place I'll show you. God vanished, and then Abram just wandered and, you know, stumbled into Canaan, literally having no idea where he's going. He just wanders in the right direction to the right place or the wrong place. Surely, God, you don't want us in the Canaanite land. Surely not the land of the Canaanites. No chance. God said he would show him. He would show him. The idea is that he's going to lead him to the place. What did Abraham see or hear that led him there? I don't know. None of us know. Did he see God walking in front of him? Did he see or hear a voice that said, no, 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 this way, periodically? Was there a cloud and a flaming fire in the sky like with the Israelites and Moses? Did he see a star like the shepherds did that led to Christ? Did he follow a star? I, I, we don't know. But one thing we know is it was not a short walk. We know that. And look, that we also know there were multiplied souls, people, souls, followers along the way. What did he? Are we talking about slaves that he bought? Now, I'm not going to go into that, but not necessarily. I think we're talking more about people that began to follow him because they believed he was following God. That he's talking, he's learning to follow God, and he's sharing as he goes. I, this is my opinion now, but I believe so. That he's expecting God, and now there are people that are also expecting God because they believe and trust in what they hear from Abram. Like Noah. Now, Noah was the only one that got in the ark, but Noah was building an ark for a long time, for over a hundred years, not knowing the moment that the waters were coming uh, or to what extent, but he kept building. And according to the apostles later on, he was a proclaimer. I think it's Peter who says he was a proclaimer of righteousness. He was continuing to preach the truth. No doubt, just like Noah, Abram was learning to uh, follow God, learning to Follow what God had called him to do. And look, we do the same thing by faith. Listen, by faith, whether it's sharing our faith with someone in a coffee shop or moving to a third world country to help deal with poverty or if we're agreeing to serve in children's ministry at the church or we decide we're going to go plant a church in Arizona and say, yes, Lord, we'll do that like we did. Whatever it is, saying yes to the call is, listen to me, saying yes to the call is not the same as learning to follow it. Saying yes to the call is not the same as learning to follow it. Yes is a response to being in tune with God's word. Following it is also a response daily to remaining in tune to God's word. To continuing to hear him. The real work is learning how to walk continually daily. That's the struggle. 
That's the faith remembering that he did speak. I did hear his word. And now I'm following him, trusting there is a plan that's bigger than me. And though you may not see that global plan and the results of all that, what you can expect is the presence of God in your life. What you can expect is the presence of God in your life. So last one, listen to his word, learn to follow his call, and then look for his presence. Look in verse 6. Abram passed through the land, the land, to the place at Shechem, to the oak at Moreh. Oak is a tree, so this is not a desert. This is an oak. This is a wooded place, a, probably a beautiful forestry type place at northern Israel. At that time, the land that would be known that way. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Verse 7, then the Lord appeared. That word means to become visible, revealed, to see. I don't know how you want to wash that one out, but he saw God. That's as plain and simple. The Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh, the Lord became visible, was revealed. He saw him. That's what the word means. To Abraham, and he said, so he wasn't a voice, he appeared and he spoke. Two different things. He appeared and he spoke. To your offspring, to your seed, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Repeated it twice. It's a very specific spot, the Oak of Moray. Within a specific place, Shechem. Within a specific location, the land. The land. All right. God wasn't some sky full of stars that made him feel good at some point along the way, and so he parked it. He wasn't a glowing sunset that he interpreted to be the power of God in this place. It, it, it was it was a specific place. He wasn't a feeling. He was a very specific person in a very specific place. He was present at that very very specific location. Shechem was a Canaanite city. All right. It had existed for years after that. The Samaritans made a home out of it. When Jesus goes to the woman at the well, it's near that city. Um, Rome called it Neapolis. But in Abraham's day, Moray was probably a sacred place. This tree, this big oak tree, who knows what it looked like. But it was probably a sacred place outside the city already. Um, and Abram likely couldn't have gone in the city anyway because he had tons of people. We are just read that. He had a bunch of family, a bunch of people following him, possessions, animals, you know, all that. He can't walk in the city. So he's at this location. Uh, Moray in Hebrew is an identical, the identical word for teacher. All right. And it's based on the same word we get, the same word for Torah, which is the word or instruction or teaching of God. God met him there. Teacher, the word. God met him there at that place by that name. Perhaps the city was even in the distance. Abram standing at the tree. God meets him and the city's in the distance and God says, I'm going to give you this land. It makes me think about Joshua. You can go look it up in the first couple of chapters of Joshua when he brings the people to the Jordan and in the background is uh, Jericho and God meets him and says, this is going to be your land and here's how, here's what we're going to do. Appeared, the word appeared there is almost the identical word with that word show in verse 1. Go to a land I will show you. It's almost the same word. The land was shown to Abraham because God was shown to him there. 
land was shown to Abram because God was shown to him there. How many times do you look for God and assume he's present in the wind? You know, or that the land, you know, that, that, uh, the land or the sunset or there's something beautiful that occurs and you're like, man, that's God right there. That's God right there. Is it okay to expect more than that? Should we expect more than that? Is it okay? How should we expect to see him? How should we expect to see him? Um, first, I, I would ask this. Are, are we in the place? Are we in the place, the position, the location? Are we in the place where he is leading us, first of all? And then, look, are we anticipating him in that place? Are we actually expecting him to show himself to us in that place? That, that's the thing I'd ask first. You know, the appearing with Abraham here is a visual, visual, blah, 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 blah. visual physical thing. He sees him physically. But the beauty of what's being said in these words here is that God is relational. God didn't have to do that. God is relational. God has revealed himself to Abram. God made himself known. He's approachable. He's interested in Abram's life. It means they shared words. They shared hearts. They shared identities. They spoke God is among, so to speak, Abram, all right, when he asked certainly a lot in a life-altering decision. Let me close with this. Over 400 years later, all right, a million Hebrews, well, well over that, uh, a million Hebrews would cross the Jordan, uh, and Joshua would lead them to this exact same place, this exact same place. Joshua 24, verse 1 Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, and they summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham, and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took the, I took your father Abraham, God's, he's speaking on God's behalf. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river. I took him and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac and he goes on. In verse 15, he says there, Joshua, choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, he goes on to say, we will serve the Lord. In verse 18, the people of Israel finish off by saying, we also will serve the Lord for he is our God. Verse 25. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God or in God's word. What's the point? All right. The responsibility given to Abram and being called and chosen by God uh, by grace alone was huge. It was huge. It had eternal implications. It impacted generations and generations and it's still impacting generations today. It had eternal implications for the whole world. For the whole world. And Jesus gave us the same thing. 
We are a church. We are a family of God. We are not a national nationality, not a national family in that sense. We are a family made of all nationalities. That's the church. Uh, our call is to bless, to be a blessing to all nations on the earth, to take the gospel, the hope of the gospel, the love of Christ to the whole world. That's our responsibility as the family of God. Our word, our message, uh, it would be speaking his word and adding souls as we go. It's the same thing. Can we expect God, listen to me, can we expect God to be among us with such an epic responsibility? Are we willing to allow, allow it to be life-altering for us? If we are, I believe we can expect to see him. And look, for some, he may call you to a pagan land, to, 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 to bitter enemies, his bitter enemies. And you may be facing uh, loneliness all the time. It may be far worse than that. You might be facing great persecution, cursing, death. It might be something you're looking at all the time. I believe in those times for those people, it is highly likely that they may even see Jesus. Literally. I totally believe that. In fact, I'll go out and say on record, I've met some who have claimed that, that I believe them. And I'll tell you that story some other time. But those are people who are in being described as I described them. Either way, for all of his disciples, for all of his disciples, no matter who you are or where you are, he promised this, I am with you always. Same thing. Same thing. Maybe you think God's too big to care about you. I, I don't know. Maybe you feel like that. Hey, he's way too big for little old me. Maybe you feel like he's not worth your time anyway. Man, if, if you knew who I was, Abraham was a pagan himself, an idol maker, worshiping other gods. The word tells us that. But God called him. And his life became unbelievably powerful in God's history and growing kingdom. Uh, not only that, he was 75. Maybe you think you're too old now. Not so. Listen to me. I still struggle with sin quite a bit. I do. I'm just be transparent with you. God pulled me from a horrible past of a drug addict and, and everything else. And, and yet he saw in me love and a plan. And he called me. And I'm learning to follow. But I still struggle with sin. And sometimes I wonder, how can he possibly want a relationship with me? Why would he possibly want to be with me? But he does. You know how I know that because he proved it. He went to a cross. He sent his only son who died on that cross for me. For me. He rose from the dead to defeat the enemy I can never hope to defeat. And that's death. And because of that, I have a great purpose in his plan. And you can too. You just you access that by faith. You say, Lord, I'm trusting in this. I'm trusting in this. I give you my life. I'm done driving it my way because it's a train wreck. I admit to you that I have failed and I want to know you more. You can have my life. You lead me, Lord, I'll go. You call my name and you say, follow me. I'll walk with me. I want to walk with you. I'm letting go. Do that. I'm telling you, do that. However you want to say it, whatever words you want to use from your heart, say it. And then let us know. We want to pray with you. Let me pray right now. Lord, I love you. I thank you as always for your word. It's epic. It's so good. Thank you for the privilege of learning to... Um, Share it with others, learning to pour it into my own heart, Lord, and then seal it up there for your glory. Thank you for the privilege of being used by you.
And thank you, Lord, that I know there's a plan in every decision you make that I follow. And I pray, Lord, that the plan that you have for this church would bring great glory to you and advance your kingdom in Tempe, Arizona, at East Valley, um, and then to the rest of the world from here. All for your glory alone, in Christ's name. Amen.